be this morning. We're going to switch things up a little bit because typically what we do is we take chapter and verse, we go through, I take something that's pretty simple and I overcomplicate it. I'm trying to get better at that, you know. Um, I'm still learning as a Bible teacher, but this morning um, I was encouraged, without them saying a word, I was encouraged because the ladies back there, Miss Dana and Kelly have been talking about things and they're like, hey, we're going to the journey to Bethlehem, so on Sunday morning, let's study the journey to Bethlehem. And so I said, you know, we might do that too. And uh, Richard exhorted me by saying, well, if you don't, I'm going to go back to Children's Church, heck with you. And you know, I was like, hey, I don't want to lose Richard. I kind of like seeing his smiling face. So <laughs> I wanted to keep him despite Stacey, what Stacy was saying. But, but, but we're going to be in Luke chapter 2 this morning. We're going to use that as our kind of jumping off point because I don't know about you guys, but I read the story of Christmas. I also sing some of the songs that we sing, and I, I get this serene view of the birth of Christ. Now, having two children of my own now, I go, wow, birth is not a peaceful, like, just sitting in a manger, got, got these nice lights behind us, and wise men show, like, it's nothing like that. Even in our modern day, where we can kind of make circumstances what we need them to be so it's the most comfortable that it can be, here we are, we have these children and the first night is not one of those where we're peacefully sitting there with our child wrapped in something very nice. You know, swaddling clothes in and of themselves are not really that great. They're strips of cloth. And so they're not meant to be wrapped around children. That's just what they had. Children aren't meant to be born in a barn, as we say, you know, when our kids leave the door open. What, were you born in a barn? It always makes me think of Jesus because he was. And so when you see the story of the birth of Christ, many times because we've heard it so many times, we become familiar with it, and so we make all these assumptions, and we kind of even think our own culture into the situation. So we need to be careful about that, because when we read the scriptures, sometimes we read out of it reality. We, we take it out, and then we kind of insert what we have gotten used to thinking as we read it. And so this morning, I wanted to look at it through a different angle. I've heard many people talking from within this group and and from without. This is a busy season, right? Christmas and the holidays and Thanksgiving, you just, you get exhausted. I do. I I want less interaction. I'm kind of an introvert by nature, even though you may not think that about me. I I tend to kind of get sucked dry physically and spiritually by being around a bunch of people. And for some people, they get recharged by being around a group of people. But the reality of the Christmas season is that it's busier. It's like normal everyday life on steroids. It's, you know, and on top of that, you got taxes due at the end of the year. You got um, family obligations. Um, And in Jesus' day, he wasn't apart from that. And so I want to make the case for that this morning and maybe bring him to more of he might, you might actually be able to relate with his birth a lot more than you realize. And so in Luke chapter 2, we'll start there in verse 1. It says, It came to pass in those days that a decree went out from Caesar Augustus, who was the ruler at that time, that all the world should be registered. This census first took place while Quirinius was governing Syria. So all went to be registered, everyone to his own city. Now Joseph also went up from Galilee, 
out of the city of Nazareth into Judea to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and the lineage of David. Now, King David, that we know slayed Goliath and became the the first king after King Saul to the nation of Israel, Joseph is his descendant. And so that's why he was chosen to be the dad of Jesus. He was the half dad or I guess stepdad or you know that but but he was the dad of Jesus and so he takes on this great responsibility but it's also because Joseph was a descendant to the throne. He had the right to be on the throne, but at the time we can relate to this, there was a little bit of a political unrest going on. Israel had lost their ability to rule over themselves. And so they had a king that was not from their kings. So they, in some way, were being oppressed. And they were being told to do what they had to do. Now, we're from a, an area that I think we could relate. We don't like being told what to do. Even the people that we love, if they tell us to do something that we don't want to do, we get pretty upset about that. You know? and, and you're going to hear about it too. But look at what this family has to do. It says that they were all called to be registered. Now, most of the people that, you know, we have people in our area, in certain areas, that they don't want it, they're off the grid. And they're off the grid on purpose. We don't want, we don't want you to know we exist. We're just doing our own thing. We're making our own. We got the brown rice stored in the basement. You know, they're storing up ammunition. It's all going to go down, you know, like Hades in a handbasket. And so we're going to protect ourselves. But it says that they had to be registered. This wasn't like a suggestion. This was a command from the government. You will do this or there will be consequences. It will not go well for you. We will come and find you. And so these are the people of Israel being told to be numbered. So it was, verse 6, that while they were there, the days were completed for her to be delivered. So at the time that the edict comes down from the high king, you will be numbered. She is very, very pregnant. Mary. Now, I don't know about you guys, but when my wife was very, very pregnant, we didn't go on long trips. We didn't go, hey, you know, let's go do this thing. Not even stuff that we wanted to do. But they didn't have a choice in the matter. You will go be numbered. And so, Stephen, if you'll give me this second slide here, I wanted to give you a picture because Nazareth, they say that they're going to go up to Bethlehem. So I don't know about you guys, but when I think about going up, I think about going north. So if somebody says, I'm going up hunting, I'm thinking they're going north somewhere. Um, But in Israel, if you're going to go up, you're actually going up in elevation when you read it in Scripture. So Bethlehem and Jerusalem there are in the south and Judea, which is just a region. But Joseph and his family lived up in Nazareth. Now, I'm reading a book currently that talks about Jesus of Nazareth, and the book's called Small Town Jesus. And what I found out when I read this book is that calling Jesus Jesus of Nazareth was actually kind of like mouthing him. It would be our modern equivalent to saying Jesus of Podunk. Now, nobody wants to be from Podunk, or if they are, they don't want to be called that. I mean, it's not a positive term. But Jesus was from Podunk. He was from Nazareth, a town of about... 500 people. Now, to us, we're going, well, how many people live in the valley? You know, what's, what do you think the sum total is down in this area? Does anybody know? I don't know. A little over 3,000 people. So we could probably relate a little bit more than you think. A lot of people would consider us backwoods because we live here. 
When I went to move to Ironton, people were like, why? You live in Farmington. Like, isn't that the bee's knees? Well, that's where God's called us to. That's where I want to be. That's where my heart is. I love it down here. It's way better. People wave at you. You know, there's all kinds of benefits. Um, you know, there's, there's good things and bad things. I got to drive 18 miles to go work. And there's the, we don't have no Walmarts. You know, how, do we, how am I going to survive? But we got Dollar Gin. We got Dollar Gin just like Annapolis got Dollar Gin, and Dill Run's got one now. So I, I'm good, right? But my point is, is that they lived in Podunk. They had to go 70 miles to be registered. They had to drive to St. Louis from here-ish. So we're like, all right, 70 miles. But they didn't have no RAV4. They didn't have no Equinox. They didn't have no Jeep. They didn't even have a Buick Century. They had what? They got a donkey. And you know what Joseph did? He walked with the donkey because his wife was not going to be walking. She's going to be sitting on top of that donkey. Now, there was a couple of times that Kelly and I decided, hey, let's go take a Jeep ride. So I had to get out the milk crate when she was pregnant. And she wouldn't like me telling that. But I mean, here's the reality. We're not tall people, the Mingis. So I get out the milk crate. And she's like, I'm not stepping on that thing. I was like, well, you won't be able to get in. So she steps on the milk crate and she gets in. But riding in a Jeep is like having your kidney punched constantly while you're driving down the road. Now imagine a baby sitting on your bladder. You know, there's all kinds of problems. And so here's Mary. She's very pregnant. We'll just leave it at that. She's very pregnant. And she's got to ride a donkey 70 miles. 70. No. No. I'd be like, hey, we'll be there. Can we get an extension on this thing? You know, like the IRS will give you. But they're going 70 miles. Okay, I beat that one until it's dead. But my point is they had to travel very far. So verse 6, it was that while they were there in Bethlehem, the place that is called the house of bread, Beth, house of bread, Bethlehem. I can't say it in Hebrew and you don't want that. But he says, she brought her, and she brought forth her firstborn son and she wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. So on top of traveling 70 miles and being very pregnant, here comes the baby. Now, was the baby brought on a little quicker because the ride? Maybe. Modern medicine will probably tell you that. But then they get there and there's no place to stay. No room. No room for Jesus. Now, he left a small place where there was plenty of room. How can this possibly be the will of God? God wouldn't do anything that would make you uncomfortable, right? Well, his own son was born by being brought into an uncomfortable position. His parents. And so there was no room for Jesus. Now, verse 8, Now there were in the same country shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were greatly afraid. And then the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which will be to all people. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord, and this will be the sign to you. You will find a babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. Why did he tell them that? Because they wouldn't go looking in a manger for the son of David to be born, the next heir to the throne. They would go look at, you know, Bethlehem General or, you know, whatever hospital they might have. No, he, said, get, he gives them specific directions. Don't look where you normally would. Look in this place. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host 
praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth, peace, that's a promise, and goodwill toward men. Peace. So the king of peace comes down, he's born, he's placed in a manger, and the promise is that at his coming there will be peace. And what you got to know about the government at the time is that there was unrest. The people were groaning for them to be able to govern govern themselves. And they actually saw it as a sign, a curse from God that they were not able to govern themselves. They had their freedoms taken away. And so at that time, here comes Jesus on the scene and there's a promise of peace. And so it was when the angels had gone away, verse 15, from them into heaven... That the shepherds said to one another, let us now go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has come to pass, which the Lord has made known to us. And they came with haste. They found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. And when they had seen him, they made widely known the saying which was told them concerning this child. So they heard the message from the angels. When they saw it was true, they waited till they saw it was true. This is good advice. A little sidebar. If you hear something from someone, we live in a small town, it's a rumor about somebody else, I wouldn't go sharing it with anybody unless you know it's true or not. Now, that said, I don't think that we need to share a whole lot of stuff with each other anyway that's not firsthand from somebody else. But my point is, just a little side note, don't share things about other people when they're not around unless you know it's true and unless you know they're okay with you sharing it. Just a little side note for small town, right? But... They came with haste, and they found Mary and Joseph. I lost my place. Now, when they had seen him, they made widely known the saying which was told them concerning this child. Verse 18, all those who heard it marveled. In other words, they were in awe at those things which were told them by the shepherds. Of all the people to spread the good news, the shepherds were kind of known as thieves and liars. I mean, they were scorned. People didn't like them. So the messengers that God sent out to tell about the birth of his son, they were shepherds. And people were in awe at the message that they had to share. Why would angels show up to shepherds? That's what they're thinking. But then, in verse 20, the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen as it was told them. So here's the birth of Jesus. And I read it and I go, what a beautiful story. Look at all the weaving of of people being involved and angels and prophecy being fulfilled. This is the the perfect time, God's Son coming to earth. And I don't know that it would be the way that I would want to bring my son into earth, but God has this plan that's unfolding and it befuddles, it baffles us that he would do things like this. But what I wanted to turn to was in Matthew chapter 1. Because while we read that, it sounds serene, it sounds just perfect and perfectly lined out, and just, I don't know about you guys, but I'm a little type A. And when I plan something or I do something, I like things to be just so, and I have them pictured in my head. And when they don't go exactly the way I have them pictured in my head, I get frustrated, and I don't enjoy it as much. I kind of like ideal conditions. And you would think, or I think, that God would be like that. But to him, ideal conditions means something completely different than what ideal conditions means to me. So in Matthew chapter 1, I want to go back a step. Because here we are in verse 18, and we have a problem that's presented. 
It says in chapter 1, verse 18 of Matthew, it says, Now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. After his mother Mary was betrothed to Joseph, meaning they were engaged, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Spirit. Now, this is kind of a scandal, right? If someone is engaged to be married and they show up pregnant and they say, oh, it's the Holy Spirit. I mean, even in our day and age, we go, uh, I don't think so. I think there's probably some shenanigans going on here. Either she's been unfaithful or they've really been together and they're saying they're not. So this is supposed to be the Son of God coming into the world. And so um, here we have this problem. And then Joseph, her husband, being a just man, not wanting to make her a public example, was minded to put her away secretly. What you need to know is that a woman caught in the act of, or caught in adultery, being found with child, the consequences were not just like, hey, we're going to look down on her. It was she was going to be stoned in the public square. And if they knew who had been unfaithful with her, they would stone them both to death. And so this was no small accusation. But Joseph didn't want to make a public example of her. He cared about her. He loved her. So he was going to put her away secretly. Verse 20, but while he thought about these things, and you can imagine he was thinking very hardly and carefully about this, and probably upset, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said this, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take to you Mary, your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit, and she will bring forth a son, and you should call his name Yeshua, or Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. So all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, saying, Behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. So verse 24 says, Then Joseph, being aroused from sleep, hearing this message, did as the angel of the Lord commanded him and took to him his wife, and did not know her till she had brought forth her firstborn son, and he called his name Jesus. So the point of me telling you this whole story, or at least reading it, is that, number one, we have a problem. Joseph has these ideal conditions. He wants to get married. And he's found this woman that he loves. He's proposed to her. He's paid a dowry. He's invested. He's going to pledge his life to her. And she comes up pregnant. Not ideal conditions. So what does he do? He thinks about it. He wants to put her... He's doing the honorable thing. He's not saying, hey, did you hear what happened? What in the world's her problem? And then the Lord meets him right in the middle of his, his chaos, his world unraveling, and says what? Hey, don't be afraid to take her as your wife. This is God's plan, and really, this child is of the Holy Spirit. And what does Joseph do? Look at his response. The Lord gives the solution. Joseph hears the Lord. He obeys. In verse 25, we get a little sneak preview. It went well for him. His life was chaotic. He heard the voice of the Lord. His life was still chaotic, But he accepted it, and he obeyed, and God blessed him. I love this. So that's the pattern we're going to see in everything I read this morning. If you don't take anything away, life is chaotic. It doesn't unbe chaotic. (laughs) Sorry. 
That's just how things come out sometimes. Life is chaotic. We don't want it to be. We try to change the situation. It doesn't change. And in the midst of it, God's trying to speak to us and give us peace. He does that for Joseph, and it goes well for him. It doesn't get easy, but it goes well. God's plan is fulfilled, even though Joseph's ideals don't happen. So go to chapter 2, verse 1. It says, After Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? Now, for we have seen his star in the east and have come to worship him. So when Herod, the king at the time, the one that would be threatened by this new king being born, when Herod the king heard this, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. And when he had gathered all the chief priests and the scribes of the people together, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. So they said to him, well, in Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah are not the least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. So remember the governor saying, hey, you will be counted, and then they got to travel 70 miles? That was all part of God's plan. Hundreds of years earlier, Isaiah prophesied that that's how it would unfold. Then Herod, when he had secretly called the wise men, Determine from them what time the star appeared. He's trying to get the timeline so he can find out when the child was born, about how old it is, because he kind of wants to off him. His throne is being threatened. And so he wants to stop this other ruler from taking his throne. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the young child. And when you have found him, bring back word to me that I may come and worship him also. Now, was Herod wanting to go worship Jesus? No. A, a king that's getting ready to lose his throne or thinks he might, you know what he does? He goes and kills everybody he thinks might threaten his rule. He does not sit around and worship them and say, hey, I like you a lot. I can't wait until you replace me. Nobody does that. Ungodly men do not do that. And so he says there, when they heard the king, they departed and behold the star which they had seen in the east went before them till it, was, till it came and stood over where the young child was. And when they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceedingly great joy. They weren't just joyous, exceedingly great joy. These men had searched and traveled and looked for this coming king for a long time. So when they get there, they see the, the evidence of their faith, their hope, and they rejoice. And it says, they stood over the, where the young child was, they rejoiced exceedingly, verse 11, when they had come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and they worshiped him. And when they opened their treasures, they presented gifts to him, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. They, they arrive. They meet this king. They were wise men. They had the scripture. Somehow they understood that this star meant that here comes this, this savior. And when they see him for the first time, they don't go, oh, well, there he is. They drop down on the ground, prostrated. They humble themselves, and they worship a baby. They knew that this was the king of kings, the Lord of lords. They didn't think this was just some other child. You don't worship babies. I mean, many of us do. <laughs> 
we, we treat them as if they should rule our lives rather than training them up to follow the Lord. But in this case, these men drop down because they know that this is a divine appearance of the Lord in this child that's going to grow up and he's going to rule and reign. But then in verse 12, here's what it says. Then these men, these um, wise men, being divinely warned in a dream that they should not return to Herod, they departed for their own country another way. This baby's just been born. He's just a few days old, or however old when the wise men get there, and his life is being threatened. These men don't know that. They just know that this king said, hey, tell us when you find him, because we want to go worship him too. They probably thought he was genuine. But then, there they are, probably getting ready to go back to Herod and go, hey, we found him, to be faithful to their word. And as they're getting ready to go, the Lord meets them in a dream and says, do not go back. And they go, okay. And they go their merry way. They go a different way. So another story where a problem is presented. Jesus is born in non-ideal conditions. And then on top of that, his life is being threatened. The son of God. And as his life is being threatened, Joseph doesn't have to jump up and make sure everybody knows, hey, keep everybody away. We need guards. But the Lord is continuing to protect his son. Verse 12, they hear the voice of the Lord and they obey. Now they've been traveling for months. Their life has been chaotic. It's been on hold. They've perhaps left their jobs or their place of living to come and find this king. And in the midst of that, life's chaotic. They're getting ready to finally go back home. But they know the voice of the Lord and they obey it. And because of that, this problem, this tragedy is averted. I love this. So chapter 2, verse 13. Now when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream, saying, Arise, take the young child and his mother and flee to Egypt. Leave the country. Now, Lord, we just traveled all this way to get to Bethlehem. We're not home. And now you're telling me to leave the country. They didn't pack their bags. They didn't have their passport. You know, they, they probably didn't need that. But my point is they, they weren't ready to travel. Not only that, but mom just had a baby. Again, before the baby, we didn't do a whole lot of traveling. When the babies came, we didn't go, hey, let's go to Barbados. You know, let's go, let's go check out some sites. Let's go see the scenes. Let's go to Branson. No, we didn't do any of that. We stayed at home and we tried to survive because this baby is rocking our world. But the Lord, he speaks to them in their chaos in their non-ideal, they didn't get to take photos. Hey, he's three weeks old. They didn't get to go try out the new nursery that they've been working on for months. The Lord said, go to Egypt. Go to a foreign country. Go check that out. Wait a minute. Historically in Egypt, wasn't that kind of a picture of the world that they weren't supposed to go to? You've set us apart. You've given us our own nation. We're protected here. But the Lord is protecting them by telling them, get out of your comfort zone. And so they go, arise, take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt and stay there until you bring, till I bring you word, for Herod will seek the young child to destroy him. All of a sudden, Joseph's motivated. Dad protective mode is on. Okay, we'll go, Lord. I, I, I wasn't really into the Egypt trip, but then you said they're trying to kill my son. Okay, we'll go, right? He gives them the reason. When he arose, he took the young child and his mother by night they didn't just leave in the morning, they left at night. And they departed for Egypt and was there until the death of Herod, 
that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet saying, out of Egypt I call my son. So he's getting ready to, okay, you've been in Egypt and I'll give you word when you need to leave. Can you imagine them sitting there kind of hanging out like experiencing the first few months of having the baby and there they are in Egypt hanging out. Not ideal, right? Not what we would pick. You think, man, I, I'm, I'm missing all these opportunities for memories and grandparents to meet the kid. and That's a whole other element, right? I can't stay in Egypt. Grandparents are calling. They're saying, hey, when we get to see our baby? When we get to spoil that thing? But that's not going on. It's not traditional. And so their world's getting rocked once again. But while they're there, go to verse 19. It says, Herod... When he saw that he was deceived by the wise men, they didn't come tell him, he was exceedingly angry. Wise men, exceedingly joyful. Herod, exceedingly angry. So you see this war between God's kingdom and earthly kingdoms. And he sent forth and put to death all the male children who were in Bethlehem. So not only do we have this unusual pregnancy, we have this non-traditional, uncomfortable setting where they have to raise their kid, but because their kid was born and God's protecting him, look at all these babies that are below a certain age. The Herod just has them massacred. This would make headline news. CNN's little ticker tape would be going off. There'd be 24-hour coverage of this, this tragedy. And so amongst everything else, God's protecting him, and yet many people lost their children. And it says, he sent forth and put to death all the male children who were in Bethlehem and in all its districts from two years old and under, according to the time which he had determined from the wise men. I take this very seriously because if I was having my son in these day, that day and age and we lived in this place, Judah would be taken. He'd be put to death. That's not what I call a good holiday season. But here's very real life, tragedy, problems, chaos, the holidays. And it says, then the, was fulfilled what was spoken by Jeremiah the prophet, saying, a voice was heard in Ramah, lamentation, weeping, and great mourning. Rachel, meaning the, the mother of all Israel, the first mom weeping for her children. Every one of the Israelite moms that had these children weeping, refusing to be comforted because they are no more. Verse 19. Now when Herod was dead, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt, saying, Arise, take the young child and his mother, and go to the land of Israel, for those who sought the young child's life are now dead. So he arose, he took the young child and his mother, and came into the land of Israel. Now, here's another perspective. We've been in Egypt no doubt they heard the news of these children being put to death. And then the Lord says, okay, take your kids back to that land. What? No. Didn't you hear what was going on? Like, I can't take my kids into that kind of thing. Right? But no, Joseph got used to hearing the words of the Lord. He knew the Lord's voice. And he took his child back into what was probably an ill-advisable situation. Not because he thought it was the best thing to do, but because he knew it was because the Lord told him to do it. And every time so far that he's heard the voice of the Lord and obeyed, it has gone well for him. And so they go back to the land of Israel. Verse 19 through 23. But when he heard that Archelaus was reigning over Judea instead of his father Herod, Herod's son Archelaus, 
he was afraid to go there. So he was afraid. Very real. He wasn't just like, hey, I trust the Lord. I got no problem. He had fears, just like everybody else. But he obeyed anyway, just to see what would happen. Being warned by God in a dream again, he turned aside into the region of Galilee. And he came and he dwelt in a city called what? Nazareth, their home. They didn't go to Bethlehem. They went to Nazareth. That it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophets, he shall be called a Nazarene. So here we have Joseph hearing the message, go back to Israel. He obeys, but then there's another problem. The Lord gives the solution, and Joseph takes Mary and Jesus home. They finally get to go back and try out the new nursery. They finally get to go back and see their family they live amongst. They end up back in Podunk. They end up back in this place that they've known so well. God brought them home. And so this is just the beginning of the life of Jesus. His whole life was chaos. His whole life was unrest. He didn't have a place to lay his head. He didn't own a place to live in. He just went wherever the Lord told him to go. And then he'd get up in the morning and he would pray, Lord, your will be done, not mine. And then he would go about his day and know that every crazy thing that happened was part of the Lord's plan, part of his Father's plan for him. So, I got a couple of uh, thoughts about these passages. Number one, life is busy, chaotic, tragic, insane, and it's never ideal. The life of faith is full of surprises and changes and uncomfortableness. That doesn't mean that God's not on the throne. Number two, God has plans for you and their specific plans and their specific purposes. Nothing is in vain. Nothing's by accident with the Lord. Nothing. Absolutely nothing. Number three, distractions. Very real things, distractions, they threaten to stop the plans of God. They threaten only. God's plans will not be stopped by distractions. How many of you in here have the shortest attention span ever? I know I do. And I get distracted. Every season of my life, I feel like it, when I'm in the midst of it, I feel like I'm missing out on God's best plan for me because this is going on, because this is going on, because I'm sick, because I'm you know at work and draining all my energy doing it, or Whatever it might be, I'm distracted all the time. And those things don't stop. They don't go away. Jesus said, in this life you will have tribulation, but be comforted. I've already overcome this world. Ver, uh, number four, not all busyness can be avoided. <laughs> I'm the type of guy that goes, hey, life's too busy. Let's shut it all down and just do our own thing. It can't happen. Because I'm responsible for things. I got kids. We got family. We got, and, and all of those things are God-given. Now, I will say this. There are some distractions that you need to cut out of your lives. There are. Find out what God wants you to prioritize. Pray about it. It's not the same for everybody. For me, it's going to be different than it might be for you. It depends on God's calling for you specifically. I'm numbering these. You guys probably aren't keeping up, but I, I got numbers here, so I got to say them. Number five, <laughs> the solution is not so much to just declutter just because or to hold off to yourself in a bunker and just cut yourself off from the distractions. 
The solution is what happened in every story we read today. Hear your father's voice and learn to do that. Get really good at hearing what God has for you. How are some ways that we can do that? Well, I would start simply by reading his word. Know what his will would be. If you feel like the Lord's telling you to do something and you find out in his word that that's against his character, it's not the Lord. That's simple. Pray. Talk to the Lord about your troubles. Talk to the Lord about your chaos. Talk to the Lord about the stuff you're excited about, the stuff you're thankful for. We were praying this morning, and Jesse was excited. He got to go hunting with his brother yesterday, and they had a wonderful time. God wants to hear about that. He's interested. He's involved. He planned it. He knew it before he even planned to go do it. But then, don't just talk the whole time. God has given us a relationship with himself, and many times we spend our whole relationship with him talking, and we never know his voice. So, in every one of these stories we read today, the key, the solution, was they heard from who? They heard from the Lord. It might be in a dream. It might be through another believer speaking into your life. Stacy did that for me last week, a couple weeks ago when he was home. We were just sitting there talking. He said something, and he probably thought he was just saying something that was obvious, but it was from the Lord. I needed to hear it. And we all have that opportunity with one another. That's why we need to pray for one another. And you won't even know you're doing it half the time. You'll just say something, thinking you're just being you, but the Lord is pouring through you. So speak to each other and love and pray for each other and pray that God would use you. And whether you feel like he's using you or not, realize he will, and he is. Get to know the Father's voice. Tune into it. Even though life is noisy and distracting, God can speak to you in the chaos. (laughs) He doesn't do it any other way. Because like we said, life is chaotic. But every one of these situations were incredibly chaotic, and the Lord's voice was loud enough for each person to hear. When God speaks, number six, when God speaks, when he directs, get really good at obeying. Chuck Smith, who was the founding pastor of Calvary Chapel, which whether you know it or not, that's kind of what inspired me was getting to know the verse-by-verse teaching and and just being faithful and, and keeping things simple. And, uh, but Chuck Smith passed a couple years ago, I think 2013. But one of the things I always liked that he said was, uh, you know, people would ask him, like, what's the key to your success as a pastor and, and how this thing's blown up? He said, I, I don't know that I was uh, really, you know, I, I don't know that I could really give you a key. But he said, I just got really good at obeying God. I got really good at taking what his word said and doing it obedience is the key. Many times we're looking for some sort of mystical, like if I just got to get, you know, my, my, I got to pray three times a day or I got to read my Bible at a certain time and, and we come up with all these things and, and what the Lord wants us to do is rather than get real spiritual, although that'll be a part of it, he says, just, just read my word and obey it. That's where the power is in obedience. Jesus' life was powerful Because he was obedient. He said, I have come to do everything my father told me to do. And because he did it, he fulfilled his entire purpose. Paul said the same thing. Don't try to figure out what God's trying to do in the long run. Don't try to look at the big picture. Sometimes God will give you glimpses of that. Just obey first and watch to see what the results will be. Obey in the daily. That's what builds the kingdom. Not trying to figure out like... You know, Joseph could have very easily gone, well, 
Lord, uh, I want to do this thing you just told me to do, but won't this happen? And there might have been some of that going on, but ultimately he ended up just doing what the Lord told him to do. And because of it, it meant life for his family. So my question, my challenge for you this morning, we're getting ready to go through this, this holiday season. I really want you guys to think about this. Do you know your father's voice? Do you know the voice of the Lord? All the other stuff is going to keep happening. It won't go away. You won't get ideal conditions to get to know the Lord's voice. And maybe for some of you, you do need to take a little bit of time and set it aside each day and say, hey, for this time on Monday every week, I'm going to get specific quiet time. Nobody bug me. I'm going to spend time with Jesus. You need that. It might be every day. I think that's a good idea too. I do it every morning when I get up. I get up, I have my coffee, and I sit down and I read the Bible. Some days are more exciting than others, and some days I feel like I just did it because I'm supposed to. God God will use that. He wants to pour his word into you. Get to know his voice. Let me ask you this question. When was the last time you sat and listened for him to speak? I'm convicted by that. I don't know about you guys. Turn with me to John chapter 10, and then we'll close. Do you know the Father's voice? When was the last time you sat down to listen to it? And number three, do you obey when he speaks? That was the key. The key is hearing the Father's voice in the midst of the chaos and then obeying it. Because if you hear it and you don't do anything about it, it doesn't do you any good, right? But in John chapter 10, verse 22, this is the verses we'll close on. It says there in verse 22, it was the feast of dedication in Jerusalem, and it was winter. And Jesus walked into the temple in Solomon's porch. It was just a a court where everybody could gather. And then the Jews surrounded him and said to him, How long do you keep us in doubt? If you are the Christ, then just tell us plainly. And Jesus answered them, and he said, I told you, and you do not believe. I've already told you that on the Son of God, he says. The works that I do in my Father's name, they bear witness of me. But you do not believe because you are not of my sheep, as I said to you. Then in verse 27, he says, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. That's one of the distinctions of disciples of Jesus. They hear the voice of the Lord, and they follow Him. They, they hear the voice of the Lord. Let's not miss this one. They hear the voice of the Lord. The second thing is they say, He says, they know me. Now, before you ever are looking for direction, get to know Him. Just enjoy Him. He enjoys you. He delights you as a person. Not what you produce, not what your job is, not how good of grades you get, not how popular you are, not how many followers you have on Facebook or whatever. He doesn't care about any of that. He loved you while you were still sinning against him. And now that you trusted Jesus, if you've done so, he delights in you. He just likes you. Not what you produce, not what you do. How cool is that? God of all creation delights in you as a person. But then on top of that, he says, my sheep know me, they hear my voice, and they follow me. That's obedience, right? They follow me. So let me ask you, is this a distinction between you 
than the rest of the world that doesn't know Jesus? Are you his follower? Do you know his voice? Do you know him? And then do you follow him? Because that is what will get you through the chaotic Christmas season. That is what will get you through the boring times when it's not holidays. I don't know about you guys, but after, the, after Thanksgiving, I was kind of depressed for a couple days. I've been working towards it for so long, and then it was over. And I was like, now what? <laughs> That's over, and I really enjoyed it, but it was kind of a letdown because now I'm just, I gained a bunch of weight, and I, I don't have anything to look forward to. You know, and, and that's at the point where we need to go, okay, Lord, what's next? I don't have to look at my calendar to find out what's next, although that's part of it. But praying and say, Lord, what, what do you got next for me? What's, what's the next season look like? And then when he gives you that direction, there's purpose. And the next thing you know, you got something to look forward to again, right? So we're going to take communion this morning. I want you to ask yourself those questions. When was the last time you heard the voice of the Lord? Do you know the voice of the Lord? Do you know him, and are you following him daily? The, um, Steve and, and Jesse are going to get the elements. Kelly and I are going to sing a song. During this time, I want you to ask those questions. You don't have to sing. You can if you want. I don't know where you guys are at. This was just what was on my heart a couple of weeks ago because I've heard so many people go, man, life's so chaotic, I wish it wasn't, and it's always going to be but the Prince of Peace is found in the midst of not peace. We wouldn't need peace if life was peaceful all the time. So uh, let's pray. Father, thank you for the opportunity to practice communion, to enjoy fellowship with you. If we gather each week and we talk about you, and yet we don't know you and know your voice and follow you, then it's all in vain. It's, there's no purpose in it. But Father, I believe that you've called us to deeper fellowship with you. And so Father, here we're going to take communion. We're going to eat the, the, the symbolic blood and the bread that, that made it all possible for us to enter into the Holy of Holies and know you personally. And so Father, during this time, I want each one of us to be able to examine ourselves to see if we're truly living like you've called us to live in relationship with you. And Father, as we do that, whether we're convicted about not doing it, or whether we're really blessed because we finally started doing it, Lord, I pray that you would help us to confess that to you, to repent and to turn around and, and to just not feel condemned, but to realize this is a call to uh, truly enjoy what we've been given in Christ. And so, Father, as we open up this time, I just pray you'd bless your people as we think about these things. In Jesus' name, amen.